Welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Church. We're currently teaching through the Gospel of John. Covenant Grace Church is one church meeting in multiple locations. This message was recorded at our Menifee campus. You guys go ahead and be seated. Um, today's scripture reading is out of John 13. We're going to start in verse 1. If you guys need a Bible today, there's some Bibles in the back. Just raise your hand. Um, some of the guys will bring them out to you. John chapter 13, starting in verse 1, says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given him all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him, and that was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. And this is the word of God. <clears throat> so uh, we are back in the book of John. We took a couple of weeks off. We did our uh, Renovate, yes, I kept thinking retool and, and all of these other, other words, but renovate because we were talking about relationships, and we did that for a few weeks, and uh, we're, we're jumping back in here. Um, does anybody remember why John penned this book, why he, he, uh, he wrote it? What was the purpose of the book? So that we may believe, right? And we know this because in chapter 20, verse 30 through 31, it says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So we spent the first few months uh, when we met here uh, going through the first 12 chapters of John. And these 12 chapters, uh, it starts in chapter 1. In the beginning, there was the word. So in, in some senses, these first 12 chapters represent an infinite amount of time. Uh, But the focus of those 12 chapters, the primary focus is three years of ministry that Jesus uh, 
took part in as he walked to the earth, right? He called his disciples, he healed people, he taught. Three years are represented in those 12 chapters. Now, chapter 13 opens this section that's commonly called the Upper Room Discourse, right? Uh, there are five chapters, chapter 13 through 17, represent one night, one evening where Jesus sits with his disciples and gives them his final instructions. And his instructions were meant to prepare them for the dark hours that were coming, right? Uh, within 24 hours, Jesus was going to be dead. He was going to be gone for three days, and the disciples' faith was going to be shaken to the core. So these last words that he's giving them, these, these last instructions as, as, a, as a whole group, are meant to prepare them for that time. We kind of divvied up some of the schedule, and, and I've, been, I've, I've had the, the blessing to be able to spend a few weeks in preparation, and, and I feel like, I guess you always feel like you wish you had more time. There's so much here. Uh, but it's just been an amazing blessing to me reading this passage and rereading the passage. And, and it's been a great encouragement, not just in being able to see Jesus in such a, a beautiful picture of humble service and, and clear leadership, but, but this heart that serves those that are following him. But it's also been a wonderful resource as, as there's just been some situations, some people um, who have come for counsel and some conflict and, and things like that. And, and looking at this passage, I've been able to say, Lord, thank you for, for providing this opportunity to be just dug into it and, and studying it and looking at it. Um, I've seen the fruit of it. So it's made a profound impact on me these past few weeks. Uh, this is a simple example of Jesus being Jesus, right? We see not only the loving way that he communicates care and patience, but we also see humility and wisdom. This is just a thick passage. There's so many layers to it. I mean, every single verse has new implications and new information, and it's just like crazy. I, I was talking to Tony Langdon, and I said, man, you know, you always struggle with inadequate feelings, right? Like you come up here in a teach and you feel like, this is, I'm, I can't do this. I'm not, I'm not worthy of this. And, and Lord, like I just, it's, I'm not the guy. And, and it's just heavy this week with this passage because it's, there's just so much there. Um, but we serve a faithful God and, and uh, he, I'm sure, uh, will bless you guys in this passage. Uh, through this whole section, there's this one verse. It's verse 15, and it, it's kind of the, the core message of these next five chapters, right? Because it says, in verse 15, it says, For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. He reiterates it in verse 34, which we, we didn't do in the reading, but it'll hopefully it'll be a very familiar verse to you guys. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you, and you also are to love one another. And he tells us why this is important in verse 35. He says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And I think that, that those verses, these things stand out really heavily today because of the tragedy that happened in Orlando, right? I mean, we are to be known by our love for one another. And, and when something like that happens, that love should be the first thing that people think about. So I just encourage you guys to continue to be in prayer over that. Um, you know, just lift it up and uh, let's be compassionate. <clears throat> the, 
The theme continues through the first 13 chapters. We even see in, in chapter 15, he repeats again. He says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. So if all we wanted to do was just kind of come and get the purpose of this chapter, the purpose of this section, just our lesson for the day and walk away, that's it. Love as Jesus has loved you. It's that simple. But, but it's really not that simple, right? Because we could spend a lifetime studying Jesus and how he loved. We, can, we could spend every day looking at a, a story, a passage, and, and, and a testimony of how Jesus is loved in the scripture and learn things anew. We could look at each other's life. I mean, we think about since we have planted and, and brought people in and, and the blessing that Jesus has poured out on this church and these people is part of that testimony of his love. So the question that will drive us today and really for the next few weeks as we dig through this upper room discourse is how did Jesus love and how can we imitate that? Specifically in this passage, we're going to be looking at that through the washing of the disciples' feet, right? And this is just a, a, a powerful example of, of Christ's love to those that, that uh, were with him. But we're also going to look at the circumstances and the context in which that love was given to kind of expand from what is in just John's testimony, or testimony here and, and look at some of the others and, and bring it all together and, and uh, look at it uh, from the perspective of the disciples, perspective of Jesus and, and what was going on um, in the time around. So uh, I know that was a long introduction, but let's pray as we dig into this passage. Uh, Father, we want to hear from you. And Lord, we thank you for your word, that we can have confidence in it, and that we can see it, and that we can glean from it with our minds and, and our hearts and our, our intellectual uh, understanding of, of language and grammar and, and all of these things. Lord, but we understand that there is more going on than that. Lord, we need more than to just understand this passage. Lord, I pray for your spirit. I pray for your spirit to guide my words. I pray for your spirit to be in the hearts of my brothers and sisters, Lord, that we might receive from you today. Lord, we, we pray this in confidence, knowing that you've said that if we ask in your name, you will give. Lord, we love you and we praise you. Amen. All right. Man, I feel better after praying. That's just like makes all the difference. Uh, if you guys remember from chapter 12, right, we, we think back to where we left off. Um, chapter 12, we saw Jesus arrive in Jerusalem, right? He's riding in on a donkey. Uh, palm branches are laid before him. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, he's being worshipped as the king and as the deliverer of Israel. And he goes around, right? The, the crowds receive him. He's teaching the crowds. Um, he's teaching them about uh, their unbelief. Um, he's teaching them about he's come to save the world. Uh, there's a passage in there where um, he points to himself as the, the way to eternal life. Uh, and and we, we go through this, and at the end of one of those days, he retreats with the disciples, and they go into this upper room, and they're going to share a meal. And chapter 13 opens with this meal that they're sharing. And I want you guys to, to give me some leeway here as, as we, we look at the scene and, and we look at some of the other stuff that's going on and, and we make some guesses 
um, about how the disciples were feeling and, and what was going on. And, and there's some evidence that we can look at, right? So Jesus spent the day preaching and teaching to the crowds, and the crowds responded with support and excitement, right? So that's what the text says. Now, I imagine that the disciples were overjoyed by that, right? I mean, they feel like they're on this, the cusp of a revolution. They feel like there's this awakening going on, and there's this moment of history that they're involved in that's going to define everything else in the future. They're, they think, like, the Messiah's here. Like, he's going to present himself. This is going to change everything. So as they enter this room and begin to get comfortable they start to think about, what is this world going to look like? And I think, you know, I mean, Jesus, like, he's the dude. And, and I'm the dude of the dude. Like, I'm here with him. Where's my place in this? And if we look at Luke 22, 24, you don't have to turn there. It simply states that an argument breaks out among them. And this argument that breaks out among them, it's a common argument. We see it other times in Scripture. It, it breaks out about who will be the greatest, Right? We see that uh, in, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all record another instance where this argument came up. It was in Capernaum, right? Jesus was out on the evangelism tour, and the, the disciples are with them, and they're, they're going around, and they come through Capernaum. And, you know, the disciples are feeling good, and he's like, I think I'm going to be the greatest. I mean, like, Peter, you're okay, but, you know, James and John, like, we're brothers. And, I mean, together, we make something greater than just you. And, and, you know, they're, they're starting this argument. They're, they're stirring it up. We see another time in, James, or in Mark 10 where James and John specifically ask to sit on the right and the left of Jesus when he rules. And, and Jesus, his response, his instruction to these, these arguments, these thoughts, is always basically the same thing. He says, whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be the slave of all. And this is the tone as we begin chapter 13, right? This is where people are at. Jesus is sitting at the head of the table, and he's listening to his closest friends argue about who is the greatest. There's another detail that's really important to kind of notice before we start digging into each, um, each verse and, and into the actual washing of the feet. It expresses just the depth of love that Jesus has, it adds to this environment so we can see that when Jesus goes to wash the feet, it's not just something he does. Uh, let's, let's read the first verse in chapter 13 to kind of bring this out. It says, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father. Jesus knew he was about to die. I mean, I want us to really think about that for a moment. Like, he was completely aware that in 24 hours, less than 24 hours, he would be dead. In mere hours, he would be betrayed. He was aware of that too, right? Half a day from torture and ridicule, and he's sitting at a table listening to the disciples jockey for position and power and honor. So... Have you find yourself in situations where you would be frustrated? I mean, this is a situation that we could look at and say, like, man, that would be frustrating, right? And, and we find ourselves in situations, right? I mean, standing in the line at Walmart, frustrating situation. Getting stuck in traffic, frustrating situation, right? Especially when people just, they're not behaving appropriately. And by that, I mean not the way that I think they should behave, right? <clears throat> could just be Facebook, what people said or didn't say. Right? And my birthday was this week, and I thought, oh, man, you know, 
there's this new birthday thing where there's like 80 people that say happy birthday on your Facebook and you have to go in and, you know, like comment on each one. I was like, how frustrating is this? I mean, how prideful is that? <laughs> Could be family discussions, right? Somebody in your family is just like, man, that guy or girl. I challenge you guys when those situations come up, remember this passage, right? Remember this moment when Jesus sat there the night before he died and listened to the people he loved bicker about who was greatest? Because when you feel that frustration and irritation boil up, we can remind ourselves of how Jesus responded. We can remind ourselves of the loving patience that he expressed because his response was to demonstrate humility first and instruct and correct second. Right? So he, he established, he reestablished that, that relationship and he lived out what he was hoping that the disciples would uh, live out. And when we find ourselves frustrated with people, I think that's a really good example to follow. If you knew you were going to die tomorrow, if you were in Jesus' position, what would you spend your last 24 hours doing? Right? I mean, the first things that come to mind, I mean, there's a ton of things that we can kind of think of. But the two things that generally those will fall into, the two categories, would be a bucket list and telling people goodbye, right? The bucket list and telling people goodbye. Jesus chose to wash feet. I don't think that was on his bucket list, right? It was like, uh, wash feet, check. Uh, and why did he choose to wash feet? I mean, he chose to wash the feet of the disciples because of the second half of verse 1. And let's, let's look at that, right? Picking up where we left off. It says, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And the second half of this verse tells us that not only did he love his own, but he loved them to the end. And in the Greek, this phrase, to the end, means loved fully or completely. It's not just a time frame. It's, it's an amount. It's a, um, it's, a, it's a way to love. So in verse 1, we see that Jesus knew he was going to die, and that despite the weight of that knowledge, he chose to love those who were with him patiently and in humility. We look at verse 2. It says, During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, not only did Jesus know he was going to die, he also knew he was going to be betrayed. More than that, like this betrayal, it wasn't just a betrayal of Judas. This was a second betrayal, right? Because the devil, Lucifer, had betrayed him already, right? He took, the angel, he took a, a portion of the angels and, and, and rebelled against God already. There was already a betrayal. So this was a continued betrayal. And Jesus, because of this, was under great spiritual attack. He's under great physical stress. He's, in, he's, he's dealing with the knowledge of imminent pain and suffering. And his disciples are arguing about who is the greatest. I mean, this scene is very different than what we surmise when we just kind of read through it real quickly. And, I, and, and all of that is really important because we're going to find ourselves in situations where there's pressure, Right? I mean, this is pressure that would cause any of us to fail. And if we're, if we're looking at this passage and the goal of this passage, the, the point of this passage is that we would follow Jesus' example, that we would love, as other, or love others as he's loved us, how on earth do we do that? Like, how on earth do we sit in a situation under that kind of pressure and have his response? 
Let's go to verse 3, because the answer's there. And we do this in the same way that Jesus did. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. Jesus was so committed to the Father, so committed to the Father's purpose, that he was filled with the power to withstand the pressures of that moment by remembering the promise of returning to the Father. Like, we're going to find ourselves in moments of great pressure. I mean, as individuals, but also as a church, right? I mean, fear is going to threaten to overwhelm us. Distrust will threaten to divide us. There's going to be hurt that threatens to separate us and destroy us. I mean, we're, like, this doesn't just go to our individual walk with God. I mean, it goes to our marriages, our friendships, our, our church uh, body, our relationships here. I mean, putting this on on Sunday morning, all of that is going to be threatened by these things. And we withstand that temptation to give up by loving like Jesus did. Not from ourselves, but from the overflowing knowledge of our place with God, from the position of eternal provision, not temporary comforts. The writer of Hebrews reminds us, and it's in Hebrews 12, 1 through 3, it says, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance that race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So our imitation of Jesus' love cannot simply be action-driven, right? When Jesus says, do as I have done, it cannot be just, okay, I'm going to wash feet. Jesus washed feet, I'm going to wash feet. When Jesus says, love as I have loved, do as I have done, that starts with the purpose Right? It starts with his commitment to the Father. And if we don't have that, if, if we're not imitating him, not just in his action, but in his empowerment, we're destined for failure. There's no way that we can do as Christ has done if we're not coming from the same source of power that Christ came from. So as we lay this foundation, it's critical to keep that in our mind. As we, as we look at these next five chapters together, that has to be at the forefront every week. We'll continue in verse four. He says, it says, he laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. And then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. So I want you to kind of think about this picture. You can close your eyes if you want to. I'm a film person, so I always kind of think of things in movie context. And, and if I was going to film this scene, you know, I would have Jesus at the head of the table, and, and he stands up, and he starts to remove his outer garment. And perhaps one of the others, um, we'll say Thomas, uh, Thomas sees him, and he, he's kind of curious. He's like, well, what's Jesus doing over there? And Jesus begins to, or he grabs a towel and he begins to wrap it around his waist. And Thomas just can't handle it anymore. He's like, what is going on? And he taps Simon on the shoulder. And Simon looks and he's like, what is Jesus doing over there? Because remember, right now there's an argument going on. And Simon whispers to John, 
John grabs Nathaniel by the shoulder, and one by one, the disciples stop arguing, and they begin to watch Jesus as he fills a basin with water and carries it over to the table. They watch as Jesus, their Lord and Master, kneels at the feet of Thomas. Now, they're fully aware that Jesus is the greatest among them. And he's taken the position of the least of servants. I mean, can you imagine how they felt? As they were arguing about who gets the place of greatest honor, Jesus takes the role of the one with the least honor. I mean, blowing their mind. They don't even know how to respond. Because in their minds, you know, I mean, putting some of this in context, in, in first century Israel, um, the roads were dirty, right? I mean, lots of dirt. The, the shoe wear were open-toed sandals, and they had good fashion sense because they didn't wear socks with their, their sandals. My wife fed me that joke. I have no fashion sense. I would have worn socks with my sandals. Uh, so they had dirty feet, right? I mean, dirty feet. And, and it was customary that if you were having pe uh, people to your house, if you were hosting people, you were to give them an opportunity to wash their feet. Now, if you were a home of means and you had servants, this would go to the Gentile servant. It was even below Jewish servants. Like this, was, this was the least of um, tasks. There was no honor in it. It was, it was just not what uh, was going to be accepted as a, a thing like I wanted to do, right? And be like, if you're, if you're the janitor and, and you're working at somewhere and, and you're cleaning, like, hey, you know, like I'll clean the floors. Nobody wants to clean the bathroom. Right, same kind of thing. And one by one, Jesus goes through and he washes their feet. And they're, they're just stupefied. They don't know what to do. They don't know how to respond. And then he comes to Peter. Now, Peter is at very least confused because we see in verses 6 or 10 this very interesting exchange. And before we, we, we dig into that exchange, I want to say that I know that Peter loved Jesus. He was zealous and he respected Jesus and he thought the world of Jesus. But I also think that Peter thought he was the greatest disciple, right? I mean, he just thought like, I, I'm just, you know, like you guys are good, but I really am the greatest. And if we keep both of those thoughts in our mind as we listen to his responses and just this kind of heart place that he's in, I think it, it makes it a little bit clearer because when Jesus comes over and he kneels in front of Peter and Peter watches as Jesus sets the basin down, right? Jesus sets the basin down and he's looking down and he's, he goes to grab one of Peter's feet. And before he can, he says, Lord, do you wash my feet? And in my mind, I hear both disbelief, right? And I don't know, you know what I mean? It, like there's, there's things that it could be. It could be disbelief that Peter was thinking like, or do you need to wash my feet too because I'm the greatest? Or it could be like, Lord, you're the Lord. You don't wash feet. Now, either way, there's this tinge of correction there, right? Like, Lord, do you know what you're doing? And we find ourselves in situations just like this. I mean, we go through life and we think, man, this is a situation that is uncomfortable. Uh, there's a situation in my life that's confusing. I don't know what's going on. I don't know why this is happening. It seems random. There's situations that we're in that are just shameful. We feel like, Lord, I just don't know how to get out of this. 
and we, we look to the Lord and we say, Lord, do you, do you know what you're doing? And it may be questioning out of our fear or our concern or even ignorance, but it's still questioning, right? We're still questioning God. Like, Lord, I don't get this. I, I, I don't know that you know what's going on. And the cool thing is, is that our, as our faith grows, we learn to trust God more, but that trust continues to be built. And, and it's a blessing to know that Jesus always gave Peter an answer. He always gave people the question and answer. And it was, it was that answer that was part of the process of Jesus preparing Peter to better understand what he was calling Peter to do as the rock of his church. So be encouraged, right? Because Jesus is also using the very circumstances that we don't understand in our lives right now to shape and prepare us for greater works, a deeper faith, and ultimately eternal security in the presence of God. So be encouraged, right? We're just like Peter in that way. And we see this preparation in in Jesus' reply, right? Because Jesus very calmly replies to Peter. He says, what I am going or what I am doing, you do not understand now but afterward you will. And that's the same reply that we get often, right? Like, look, trust me. Now, I think the rest of the disciples look on because there's a moment of tension here, right? Like, Peter, like Jesus is like, here, give me your foot. And Peter's like, whoa, 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 you don't get my foot. And the disciples are like, whoa, Peter just pulled his foot away from Jesus. And, and, and there's this tension, like he washed our feet. And just, so this room is kind of like, what's going on? And the rest of the disciples, as they watch, Peter, just overwhelmed, says, you shall never wash my feet. Like, I just picture him, like, pulling his feet under the table, like, pulling them away. And this is the temptation that we face when we don't understand God's timing, right? We look at our life and we think, Lord, I don't know what you're doing right now. And the temptation is that if we don't understand God's timing, that we don't understand his purpose, we refuse the work in our life, right? We say, like, no, Lord, I'm not going to take this. And we choose to focus on the moment we don't understand rather than the character of who Jesus is and what he's already done to secure eternity for us. We refuse to accept the work altogether is the worst possible scenario, right? I mean, we can, we can kind of struggle through it, but, but if we stay in that, saying in pride, I'm going to handle this situation without you. I'm going to take this into my own hands because I can't trust you anymore. That does not lead to good places. There's a moment of silence here, and I think that Peter is staring down at Jesus, who's, you know, heads down. He, he kneeled down to grab one of Peter's feet, and Peter pulls it away, and Jesus keeps his head down. And as Jesus looks up into Peter's eyes and says, if I do not wash your feet, or if I do not wash you, you have no share with me it really puts the ultimate question right there for Peter to to wrestle with, right? Are you going to trust Jesus or are you going to live in the moment that you're experiencing? Now, if we find ourselves in in those moments, it's tempting to just lose your trust and give up. And what we need to do is look into the eyes of Jesus. We have to remember the way he cared about those around him, right? We think about the testimony of, of the Gospels and, and how Jesus interacted with people as he healed them and taught them. We see the patience that he displayed with the disciples. 
We've got to remember who he is and why we can trust him, not just with our happiness, but with our lives. Because we're not living for this world. And we forget that all the time. And it was that trust that caused Peter's zeal to quickly turn from rejecting the Lord's cleansing to requesting it to include his head and his hands. Now, when Jesus replies to that comment, it opens up this whole other can of worms, right? He says, Jesus says, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. What is Jesus talking about here? We've gone from, okay, we're going to wash feet, you need to be cleaned, and then suddenly Jesus is talking about this bathing and clean and not clean and just your feet. Well, this is the beginning of the truth that Jesus is going to exemplify to the disciples. This explanation of why this moment was so important to their future ministry and their lives, it's also the same reason why it's important to us right now. And the next four chapters will be final instructions that build off of this this, this, uh, explanation that Jesus gives. Right? And, and it's going to, I mean, you know, he's going to cover a lot, but, but there's this, this through line. And over and over again, it comes back to this. Centering truth is love as I have loved. Begin, uh, he begins his final discussion with this humble act of service to set the stage for that central message. Because Jesus has not called us to lord over others, but to lead others as a servant. Now, part of that service that we're called to take part in is cleansing one another, right? He attaches this spiritual truth to a physical act, right? He he washes the feet, and and he's he's got this truth of um, this cleansing process, and it's a spiritual thing. He demonstrates it in a physical way so that we remember it. And Jesus tells the disciples and us through John's testimony that we're to follow this example of washing each other's feet, And this example represents two things. Now, you can wash other people's feet. It's a beautiful, wonderful thing. Uh, You know, a lot of people do it when they first get married. Uh, There's a ton of just humble service in that. The, The representation that Christ gave us is a valuable thing in and of itself. But it's deeper than that. Because the washing the feet is an act of humility and service. And it's not limited to just that humble service act. It's an example of this deeper truth. We are to pursue serving one another, whether we are leaders or not. And those of us who have been placed in leadership should be the first to serve, but all of us should be serving one another. Like, this is core to the Christian belief. We are servants. And the world does not understand that. But there's this other part, because I think that that one, like, we read it and we get that. Like, we get that right off the bat. But this other thing, right, the second part, that we're part of the cleansing process. Because when Jesus says, look, you're already clean except for your feet. Do as I do. He's talking about the context of right now, right? And in this specific passage, in verse 15, he's saying, I've given you example, do as I do. So he's talking about the foot washing. We're part of what is called in theological terms, sanctification. Now, we're not the source of sanctification, but often we are the the hands of sanctification. We're part of the process as it comes through because we offend each other. We sin. And we're in this world surrounded by trial and temptation and we fail each other all the time. And when we do, we need to be willing to wash each other's feet. 
It's hard to do because nobody wants to deal with feet, right? Nobody wants to wash feet, neither literally nor spiritually. Like nobody wants to deal with the dirtiest part, right? I mean, assuming in this passage everybody's bathed, your feet get nasty. You know, my wife uh, was talking yesterday or this morning or last night at some point. We talk all the time. Um, <laughs> you know. the, she said, you know, the funny thing is, is if your feet are dirty and you refuse to let somebody wash them, they get all nasty. And, and sometimes we're, you know, we're, we're like, oh, no, no, no. Like, I, I don't, I don't, I don't want to accept that. I don't want to do that. And, and they start to get like fungusy an athlete's foot, and then they really start to stink. So you're trying to hide that your feet are dirty, and now everybody knows your feet are dirty because they stink. So don't, you know, there, there's two sides to this. One, we have to pursue to wash other people's feet, but we also have to allow other people to wash our feet because this is relationship, and that's what Jesus did, right? We need to pursue forgiveness for one another. We can't allow the, the dirt of this world to cause division where we're at, right? Ephesians 6, um, there's the, the passage that's talking about the armor of God. And, and in that passage, it says, uh, don't give in to the devil's schemes, right? The devil's schemes are to undo this commandment. The devil's purpose is to get you to not love one another. That's it. That's what it comes down to. Because if he can corrupt that, then he can corrupt everything else. So we don't want to wash feet, and yet when we see Jesus do it, we admire his humility. We see the value of his example. So let's lay down our pride and just follow that example. There's more in this passage, though, because Peter's zeal to be washed completely brings out this this aspect of what was happening that Peter missed, right? The plan to wash him completely was already in motion. And the disciples were overjoyed because of all the excitement going on, and, and they didn't understand what Jesus was talking about. They didn't understand that the next five chapters, they didn't even realize that there were five chapters coming, that the Lord was, man, my jokes are just falling today, like nobody. Either you guys are like really impacted and, and there, or I just am not funny. It's probably the not funny. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Thanks, Brett. Oh, man. Okay, so, so Jesus already had this plan set in motion. The disciples were ignorant of it, right? I mean, they didn't, they didn't realize, like, I mean, to them, they're on a high. Like, man, they're, like, people are calling Jesus king. He's not going to die tomorrow. Like, that's absurd. I mean, even when he kind of spells it out and says, hey, one of you are going to betray me, they're like, does that mean he's going to spend money everywhere? Or I don't, like, they didn't get it. The next day, Jesus would be hanging on the cross. Now, this is another physical example of a deep spiritual truth. Right? Sin is an act of rebellion against God, and the price is separation from God through death. Now, Jesus was going to suffer a horrific and brutal sequence of events that ended with him hanging lifeless between two thieves. He suffered one of the most agonizing physical deaths to show us the cost spiritually of forgiveness. 
in the final, final moments on the cross, he carried the weight of our sin. There was this miraculous transfer as he was sitting on the cross in excruciating pain. The Lord turns his face away and the culpability of our sin is exchanged. And it didn't just cleanse our bodies, it cleansed our hearts and our minds and our souls. This cleansing is the fullness of love that's talked about in verse 1. And for me, it's fullness of love for you, it's fullness of love for the bride, of his, the bride, his church, and it makes us clean inside and out because the cleansing has been completely, uh, completely completed. It doesn't sound right, but perfectly completed. So we're going to close with communion today because as this passage and, and as we look at this, um, it's, it's really speaking about or it's laying a foundation for the cross as he ministers to the disciples for these next four chapters. I mean, if the guys want to come up and then the, there's a couple people they can grab the communion and, and start passing it out. Um, but as he's ministering to the disciples in these four chapters, he's preparing them for that time between his death and resurrection. Communion is a physical thing that we get to do that reminds us of this moment. And if you guys can, can take the elements and just hold on to them, we're going to give you time during the, the last song to take them, to, to take them on your own. Um, but as we pass them out, I just want to let you guys know this is something that is for believers in, in Jesus. And if you're not a believer, you can allow the, the elements to pass, and that's totally fine. Um, if you're not a believer and you want to take part, if you hear this and you see who Jesus is and you think, uh, that sounds like a good guy, and you want to put your faith in him, your trust in him, do it. Come up and talk to me afterward. I would, I would love to be able to just answer questions and, and uh, welcome you to the family, welcome you to um, the body of Christ. Another thing that we need to make sure of before we take communion is just that, that we're, we're not in conflict, like sinful conflict with someone else. Right? Make resolution and, and do that. Because that's what this is about. It's, it's about resolving conflict, and that's what it's supposed to remind us of. So go ahead and hold the elements. Um, I'm going gonna, gonna to pray, and then you can take them as you feel led during the final worship song. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and pray as we finish passing those out, and, and we'll, we'll bless that. So, Ish, do you want to kind of play a little something? And, Father, I thank you that you sent your son. Lord, as we, we think about the beginning of John, your plan to restore and renew your people set into motion before the beginning of time. Lord, we thank you for your wisdom, your strength, your love. And Jesus, we, we look to you and, and we thank you for the life that you led. Jesus, that we can see your actions and imitate them. 
Lord, we, we thank you for giving us a helper, Lord, for, for sending us your spirit, that we can not only just see your actions, but we can also be changed in our heart through that power. And Lord, I just pray against any lies in our heads. For my brothers and sisters right now, Lord, anyone who is, who is believing that, that they can't change, I just pray that you would focus them on the cross. You have purchased that change on our behalf. Lord, we don't need to fight to become something. We need to surrender to be who we are. Lord, I pray that we would surrender to you right now. Lord, that we would allow ourselves to be broken as you were broken on the cross and to be raised up renew just as you were brought back to life. I thank you for the sacrament of communion, Lord, that we are able to, to share in this together. I pray that you would be glorified through this and that you would continue to change who we are this day and every day forward. We, we pray all of this in the name of your Son, by the power of the Spirit, under the authority of the Father. Amen. You've been listening to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Church, Menifee. If you would like to know more about the Menifee campus, visit us online at covgrace.org slash Menifee.